This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. A little later, the lead sponsor of the sports betting bill in the state legislature, Representative Adam Koenig, will discuss why it hasn't moved forward and what it would do if it does pass. That's later. But Kentucky's new health commissioner, Dr. Stephen Stack, is with us first. He's an emergency room physician from Lexington, now in charge of Kentucky Public Health, and he says he wants to improve lives. Kentucky has a long reputation as an unhealthy state. We'll talk about the lifestyle choices that drive some of that. Also some short-term concerns like a tough flu season and where should we go with our concerns about the coronavirus. Dr. Stack appointed health commissioner by Governor Andy Bashir. Stack also, by the way, a past president of the American Medical Association. Commissioner, welcome. We appreciate you Good coming morning, Bill. in. Thanks for having me. So you're uh, not even going to put the stethoscope down. You're going to continue to work as an ER physician and also head up uh, this uh, large agency. I've been an ER doc for 19 years. I've worked here in Lexington for 13 and a half of those, and I, I certainly intend to try to do that. Uh, the jobs are both demanding, and you can't dabble at being a good doctor, but it's one of the most meaningful things I've done in my uh, entire life. So I intend to try to continue that while I take on this incredible privilege to be the commissioner for public health. Why were you interested in being public health commissioner? You know, in the emergency department, I get to see when we miss opportunities for prevention, when lifestyle choices or the way we design society or uh, things outside our control have adverse impacts. Um, when you move from taking care of one patient at a time at the bedside to trying to find ways to improve the entire health of the population, that's a wonderfully exciting thing. Clearly, in my previous roles, I tried to do that in medical leadership, and now I'm very grateful for this privilege to join the public health community here in Kentucky. Oh, your major goal will be, and you, you said it's alliterative, uh, <laughs> that uh, what you will be doing as health commissioner. Sure, so uh, some of the core tenets of public health are to prevent, promote, and protect. And some examples of that through vaccinations, through early childhood interventions, through the HANDS program here in Kentucky, you can try to prevent disease or adverse childhood events. Uh, through promotion, you can do things like promote healthy lifestyles, uh, healthy community design, reduce diabetes. And through protection, you can do things like food safety inspe inspections, uh, restaurant inspections, uh, disease surveillance. So if you prevent, promote, and protect, you can try to help four and a half million Kentuckians, not just one at a time, but as a community uh, across the state. We are hopefully emerging from what has been a tough flu season. Uh, we've had uh, numerous deaths, so we've certainly had a lot of uh, serious cases across the state. Has the state done its part as best it can in preventing the spread of the flu? Well, I think we've made a real concerted effort. Uh, you know, there's always opportunity for improvement, but I would say to, to all the listeners, uh, the influenza is still widespread. It is still the most uh, preventable and concerning disease you should worry about for most people right now. Over 17,000 cases in Kentucky, 53 or so deaths, four of them children. Uh, so I would encourage everyone, it's not too late, get your flu shot, wash your hands, cover your cough and stay home from work if you're able to if you're sick. Well, after that season we will then know how effective the vaccine was, right? And, and it, maybe it, it does disappoint people that it's not as effective as they would like it to be, but you say it is still the best defense. Imperfect tools are still good tools. So even if it's only 50% effective, that's half the people carrying the disease. And, and ultimately that reduces the overall community burden. So it still is an important tool, even though it's admittedly imperfect. How concerned are you 
about the coronavirus, which certainly has gotten a lot of media attention. It has proven to be deadly uh, uh, and seems to spread very easily. It, it does seem to spread very easily. That's a novel uh, part of this novel coronavirus. Um, the, the potential risk is high. The present threat is low to the, to the typical American and the typical Kentuckian. So to put this in context, nearly 99% of all the global cases are still in China and more than 99%, actually nearly 99.6% of all of the deaths are still in China. Uh, there is concern that this is not a disease that will be a flash in the pan, but one that we will have to prepare for a longer duration of the illness. Uh, and we have systems in place to protect people. So I'd have the community know we've had just under 120 people we've monitored who had returned from travel from China. Uh, but as of now, we have no one who has tested positive and no one considered truly high risk for the disease in the entire Commonwealth. Some students were quarantined at Center College. Uh, you said that was voluntary. Yes. Yeah, so obviously we are very sensitive about trying to protect people's liberties and freedoms when we do this, but we have an obligation to protect the overall public health. So when we first approach a low-risk uh, individual, uh, we ask them if they will voluntarily comply with certain um, self-isolation or self-quarantine procedures, which are often staying at home and social distancing uh, for a period of time, checking your temperature daily and reporting it to the Department of Health. Um, and I'm very happy to say the overwhelming supermajority of people have uh, freely complied with those requests and have been you know, good community citizens trying to work with us. Does the state have recourse if uh, there isn't? not cooperation. Uh, should, we, should we have to? We do have uh, statutes that would permit us, if you're a truly high-risk person or have active disease, to go to a court if we needed to. But again, I would focus more on the positive and ask everyone in the community, we're not doing this to single out an individual. We're doing it to protect the entire society. No uh, vaccine at this point for this uh, strain of coronavirus, right? That's correct. There's no vaccine. I will say technology has moved at an incredibly fast pace. And so nowadays, their ability to sequence these illnesses genetically and create uh, potential vaccines is thoroughly impressive. But we're many, many months away from a vaccine for the disease. Medical marijuana has cleared the state house and is said to have considerable support in the Senate, and we'll see if it gets through there. Uh, without uh, putting you in a position of talking about the efficacy of that or, or uh, you know, whether uh, th that is a, a viable alternative for some, can we learn from other states that have been, been there with medical marijuana if that's where Kentucky's going? I think we can learn from other states, and, and should that legislation pass, I think the Department of Health will work very closely with the lawmakers and also with the executive branch of government to try to learn from what the other states have experienced. Uh, obviously, we want to make available to patients treatments that help them and improve the quality of their lives and well-being. Um, marijuana, obviously, is a politically sensitive topic, and there's also some uncertainties. There are, are conditions for which it may help and others it may not. We'll work very closely and in partnership with others to try to make sure we get the benefits without the downsides. As you look at Kentucky and you, you do that preventive piece and, 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 and try to, uh, to tell people how they can uh, have better outcomes, we have a high obesity and diabetes rates, uh, tough uh, rates for heart disease. We have uh, some forms of cancer deaths that outpace the nation. Uh, how much do choices and lifestyle drive some of the uh, bad outcomes in Kentucky? Some of it is choices and some of it is just the nature of society. And so I, I would point out that from a public health perspective, if you look at health care spending, 90% goes to health care. That's treating illness and disease. But only 10% uh, 
of how, what determines how healthy we are is actually health care. 90% is uh, lifestyle, um, uh, the environment, and also genetics. Public health focuses on that 90% that gets less than 10% of the spend. And I would say that we have a real opportunity to work to ensure that uh, Kentuckians have living wages so they can support their needs, that they have food security, that they have um, safe neighborhoods, uh, that they have neighborhoods designed to promote physical activity, bike paths and walking trails. And so I think we have a huge role to play in that. And I think, and I'm cautiously optimistic that over the next few years we can try to bring about positive improvement. How will you encourage individual Kentuckians to be healthier? Uh, that's that's going to be a challenge. I, I hope to try to model some of that behavior in myself, but I also try to hope to make the healthy choice the easy choice. So wherever we can find opportunities for people to say it is preferable or easier to eat healthy foods instead of more readily available unhealthy foods, I think we try to promote that. Where we can make physical activity, walking to the grocery store, walking to the corner store easier and the more enjoyable thing to do rather than riding in a car. I think things like that are ways we try to design our communities to promote that. We have, as you know, a prolific opioid crisis uh, in Kentucky right now. And as you look at that and try to find ways to marshal local and state and even federal resources, uh, which uh, there is now federal money on that, uh, what do we need to do? How do, how do you get a handle on that uh, crisis? Right, so I think so people have put this in context, it is an enormous crisis. In 2017, more than 47,000 Americans died from opioid overdose. And in Kentucky in 2017, more than 1,300 died from opioid overdose. The positive news is in 2018, there was a 15% reduction in that death rate in Kentucky. I, I want listeners to know, and this is really important to hear, uh, opioid misuse syndrome is not a personal failing. It's not a moral failing. It's a horrible disease that brings about chemical chaos in the brain. And we need to reduce stigma and work very hard to increase access to treatment options for patients. So how do we reduce it though? We have to find ways to make it possible for patients to come seek help in a way that they're not judged but they're supported as people with a serious disease. We have to find ways to treat chronic pain that don't use opioids if possible because they have so many downsides. And, and that brings me to another point. Um, this came out of a well-intended effort to help people with chronic pain. Uh, they were saying that there were 100 million Americans who lived in chronic daily pain and suffered, and so we were really pressed as a medical community to treat pain. And unfortunately, the opioid epidemic emerged from that, um, not intentionally, of course, but unintentionally. While we work to minimize opioid use syndrome, we have got to find ways to still treat people with chronic pain who also deserve to have a high quality life. Would you say there is some uh, collaboration needed here among uh, doctors uh, in prescribing, patients who may go in requesting, and uh, you know the pharmacies that, that, that might catch uh, some of the uh, potential for abuse? So I would say there's, uh, there's certainly an opportunity for collaboration. In my previous role, uh, I had written an open letter to all physicians in the United States uh, urging them to be compassionate uh, to prescribe opioids for the shortest duration possible in the smallest quantity necessary, um, to make sure that for patients who required high-dose opioids they had access to naloxone and it was co-prescribed at the same time. That's the reversal agent for overdose. Uh, I do think there's an opportunity. I'm very proud of the profession and I, by that I'll say physicians but also nurses and other healthcare uh, clinicians because I think uh, we have really tried to rally to, to bring an end to this epidemic. The unfortunate thing is you, you can't turn the barge on a dime and it, it takes time to shift 
culture across the whole country. But I do think there's an opportunity for collaboration, and I think people should know that a lot of good people are working very hard to make sure we bring this to a complete end. About a minute left, Governor Andy Bashir appointed you uh, to this position. Uh, do you uh, feel that uh, you've had uh, adequate discussions with him and that everybody's on the, the, the same plan here? Yeah, so I am very grateful to Governor Bashir, one, for the privilege to serve in this role, but additionally, I think his decision to preserve expanded Medicaid is of such importance to the Commonwealth. Even though health care is, is a small contributor to overall health, health care is absolutely essential for people to be healthy. And because we have expanded Medicaid, so many of the folks who are subject to these societal risks of lack of access to care and, and secure sources of treatment now have access to care through the Medicaid program. And I think that that decision, among others, is going to help us to have a healthier Kentucky uh, in the years to come. I appreciate you coming by. Thank and, you very uh, much, Bill. So early in your tenure, and, and good luck with that and balancing uh, uh, what you plan to do. Thank you very much. It. Hope you'll stay with us on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Representative Adam Caney will join us next. He is supportive of sports betting, championing that in the State House and Senate. And we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. The Kentucky Legislature is considering sports betting and Governor Andy Beshear has made some of his budget dependent on it. Some of our surrounding states allow it. There is also strong opposition from those who say more gambling could mean more trouble and some who say it would require changing Kentucky's Constitution for it to be legal. There is a bipartisan push for sports betting, uh, the legislation that is being proposed right now, and the sponsor is State Representative Adam K is here, one of the sponsors, but of course you have taken the lead on that. Yes. Thank you so much for coming. We appreciate it very Thanks much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The sports betting bill, you know, seemed to have early momentum. We, we heard going into the session, uh, this may very well pass and it may happen early. Uh, now we hear that it has stalled and we don't hear so much talk and people say, well, we're talking about it. Where right. do things stand? Well, we do have the votes to pass it right now, but we do need to get some uh, more support, um, frankly, from my side of the aisle, Republicans, um, to get it to the Senate with as much support as we can muster. Um, I, there's a lot of support in the Senate, but I think if we send it down there with a, a big number, uh, it would uh, really help its chances of passage. And, you know, some people want to vote for it, but they also want to get more comfortable and get to a place where they can explain it to their constituents. and. Uh, it's a complicated issue and it's controversial, so it's okay to take a while with it. What would the sports betting bill allow that is not legal in Kentucky right now? You would be able to go to one of the existing uh, racetracks and the Kentucky Speedway and physically place a wager there on sports like the NFL, like UK basketball, uh, and uh, you could place a wager in person and or you can download their app and take it home, use it anywhere in the state of Kentucky to place those wagers. What sports could you not bet on under the proposal? Well, uh, a lot of that is worked out by the, um, by the uh, regulators as well as the folks who um, allow the wagers. They're not going to take uh, wagers on um, kind of obscure sports, but as long as it's a major league sport, um, you'll be okay to, to take wagers on that. Uh, I think we outlaw specifically minor league sports 
Uh, and But yeah, you'll be able to wager on pretty much the stuff you see on TV. And by minor league, that would include high school sports, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, 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 no betting there. No high school, no betting on the, the uh, Lexington uh, Legends team or anything like that. What is the greatest demand, do you think, or would be the greatest interest in, in betting on? Do you think it is important that, uh, that UK and, and, and UofL be uh, a part of that bill? That was a change we made this year. Last year we, we took it out because that's actually the standard across the country but that was the biggest complaint I heard from people was that uh, I want to bet on UK, I want to bet on U of L. So uh, we put that in there and the pushback has been non-existent on those items. So I think that will be a big issue and obviously people love to bet on the NFL, people love to bet on the Super Bowl and as well as obviously the tournament time. Representative Koenig, what do you say to those who say the state constitution would have to be amended to let this happen? The Family Foundation specifically has said that the constitution is already stretched beyond its limit in the uh, betting that is allowed and gambling that's allowed in the state right now. We had a independent uh, attorney who specializes in uh, sports wagering law from Florida come in in the interim in December and he made it pretty clear. He found the information from the Constitutional Convention of 1890 and uh, the details are, are I guess not important or we probably don't have time but the short version is that um, they clearly did not intend to outlaw betting on sports. Uh, they intended to outlaw lotteries and game or I'm sorry a gift enterprises what they call them so it's the difference between a game of chance which is a lottery and a game of skill which is sports betting what mechanisms would you put in place that would prevent uh, compulsive gambling from those who can't control their urges to uh, to spend mm -hmm. more than they have sure unfortunately we have those problems now and the fact of the matter is the American Gaming Association says that estimates that $2 billion is wagered illegally in Kentucky every year and the people taking those bets, offshore accounts, uh, your local bookie, uh, they don't care if you're overextending yourselves. Uh, these entities, uh, if legal, uh, would put in limits. They, the analytics they have when you bet on, on your mobile device, they know when you're chasing losses. They know when you're upset and you're just making crazy bets and they will shut you down and they will also enable you to set your own limits in advance. Your bookie, if you tell them don't let me bet more than $100 this weekend uh, and you show up and you bet more than 100 he or she will take it. Uh, these folks will live up to that and we also put in money in, the, in here for addiction prevention services which you know we don't have with any other of our gambling so we think that's important. So you would make the case that this is more uh, in line with regulating gambling than, than is right. currently the case. This is public protection uh, for people and while allowing them to legally do something that they do already and I trust Kentuckians and I think allowing them to make adult decisions is the way to go. The projection is it would raise uh, 22 to 28 million dollars or so in annual uh, revenue uh, right. for the state. Governor Andy Bashir has a proposed budget that is based in part on that. Uh, what happens to the budget if that does not make it through? we have to find another place to find that that 22 28 million dollars and uh, 
I, th I think it's a win-win. Besides, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in making sure it's safe and legal and uh, regulated so that people can make their own decisions. But, you know, the revenue is something that certainly motivates many others who are supporting it. And uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to um, do both. For those who are, uh, <coughs> excuse me, who are uncomfortable with the situation right now, uh, what would you, what are you saying to them? What would you say to them uh, that, might make them come over to your way of thinking on the notion of sports betting? Well, I try to impress upon them that the constitutionality that I just discussed and the fact that these are games of skill. Uh, if you uh, watch, um, say, poker, which is also in the bill, online poker, uh, on television, you see a lot of the same faces over and over because it is a skill-based game. And there are people who make their living uh, wagering on, on sports because it is a skill-based game. There's information. Of course, there is luck in it, just like there's luck in horse racing, where you know might have a bad start and the jockey fall off on, on a huge favorite. Uh, but in the end, there's a preponderance of skill involved. And over time, if you know what you're doing and you're willing to do the research, uh, you can be successful at it. And you can't do that with the lottery with slot machines or anything else like that. Do you predict what's going to happen here? You said you have, you will call it even if you don't have the number of votes that you uh, say you want, right? Well, calling it is above my pay grade. Okay. That's up to leadership. Um, I'm ready to go whenever they are, but uh, Bill, you've been around long enough to know that I shouldn't make predictions on what's going to happen in Frankfurt, but I will say I like our chances. Amazon is in your district up in northern Kentucky, yes. a, a big employer. A lot of people are coming to, to, to your area for jobs there. Yeah, right? They really are. It is changing the economy. It is changing the housing market. It, it, it's going to have a huge impact um, directly and indirectly on not only northern Kentucky, but Kentucky as a whole. And the uh, Florence Yole Water Tower is uh, right in your it area is. there it so, uh, for people to have a frame of reference. Uh, Representative, thanks for coming by. We appreciate it uh, very much. We'll be following up on the sports betting. We'll see what happens in Frankfurt. Will do. Stay with us on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers, and we'll be back. And we welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. About a week ago, construction began on one of the busiest areas in Lexington. It'll be causing detours, blocked lanes, even some closed streets for the next two years. It's part of a massive project that is costing taxpayers nearly $600 million. This portion of the project runs between Oliver Lewis Way and Tates Creek Road. And the biggest traffic impact will be along Euclid Avenue through the University of Kentucky campus and the Chevy Chase Business District. That project started on Winslow Street last Monday. And our Sam Dick takes us underground to investigate why this traffic disruption is so necessary. Every time a person turns on a bath, or kitchen faucet in a home, apartment, or business, or flushes the toilet. All that goes into the sanitary sewer pipes crisscrossing below the streets of Lexington. 38 feet broken pipe. Water from showers and bathtubs also flow into these underground pipes. Now the problem is many of those sanitary sewer pipes date back to the 1930s. They're clay and they're leaking. Why is that bad? When there's a big rain, all that stuff from toilets and sinks can overflow above ground and pollute. The EPA and the state stepped in and sued the city of Lexington, basically ordering the city to clean up its act. 
Lexington agreed to the tune of nearly $600 million. This is the biggest public works project in the history of Lexington, $594 million. There's nothing that even comes close to it. Who's paying for it? Anyone in Fayette County who pays a LexSurf bill. That's where that sewer usage fee goes. 219.5 feet, factory correction break-in tap 12 o'clock, very active. You are paying to replace 47 miles of pipe involving over 100 separate projects across the city. And one of the largest pipe fixes is about to start in one of the city's busiest areas. But they're going to close it off as close to that manhole as they can in order to be able to do the work on it because the whole thing has to come out. That's roughly 16 feet deep there, so that's going to be a big trench. They basically closed. This is ground zero for the Euclid Avenue project, South Upper Street at Winslow. If you look at a map of this and you see all of this development, all of this congestion, you wonder why on earth would we do this, which is probably the reason why it hasn't been done up to this time. It took the consent decree for this community to realize we needed to do the right thing and solve these manholes that overflow, solve what is basically a public health issue. The two-year project will include busy Euclid Avenue, including Avenue of Champions, in the heart of the UK campus. Pedestrian traffic, we're really concerned about the, the students and that we're communicating with the student population in UK as a whole. Working in Lexington, Kentucky, set up on Euclid, doing a routine assessment. 12-inch vitrified clay pipe circular going from the upstream TP4. To give you a better country. idea of what's leaking, let's go underground. This video of a camera surveying clay pipes below Euclid Avenue was provided by the city. Remember, all these cracks and leaks are potential sources of pollution. 52 feet, hole in pipe, void visible, soil visible, approximately 58 feet, broken pipe, one to four, also infiltration. Standard pipe all through the country. They used uh, clay pipe because it was, uh, it, it's impervious to um, corrosion. There's a lot of corrosion in wastewater. That's why they chose clay, but it's also very brittle and doesn't have a longevity. In the 60s, they switched over to polyethylene. That came a different material, and you see more polyethylene. The green pipe that people will see stacked around at different places. The city has until the year 2026 to complete all the sanitary sewer pipe work. Well, it is obvious why it needs to be done. Uh, certainly an inconvenience, uh, but uh, it'll be uh, worth it when it's done. The city has been handing out information cards to businesses and people living in the Euclid Avenue area, and it details the coming traffic impact. For more information on the project and traffic updates, you can go to lexingtonky.gov slash Euclid Sewer. We also have a link to that, by the way, on WKYT.com and inside the WKYT News app. Later today on WKYT, KYT keep up with the latest going on in Washington. Full Court Press with our chief national political analyst Greta Van Susteren airs at 11:30 on WKYT. And that's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT this morning, and you make it a good week ahead.